0: Our service doesn't end after we leave the military. The mission changes, but we still find the need to be of service. What's yours? Listen in as we talk to our guests about their military careers and life after the uniform in their second service. This podcast is sponsored by Fortis at Fidelis, a brand dedicated to honoring the brave and faithful. Make sure to check out fortis-fidelis.com support the podcast by subscribing to the show and leaving us a five-star review on all the podcast platforms. Now, let's get to the show. What's going on everyone? Raiden here and we just want to let you all know that for the second year in a row, Brave and Faithful Podcast has been nominated by the Veteran Podcast Awards as one of the top Best Overall Podcasts and the Best Navy Hosted Podcasts. Make sure you all go to VeteranPodcastAwards.com and vote for our podcast for the Best Overall and the Best Navy Hosted Podcasts. Voting begins August 8th and end September 18th. So again, head over to veteranpodcastawards.com vote vote. Vote for the Brave and Faithful Podcast for the best overall and the best Navy-hosted podcast. Thank you all for your support. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Brave and Faithful Podcast. Uh, today, I have a air force veteran he's also an author and a speaker uh jeff clark what's going on jeff how you doing hey man how are you i'm good i'm good man and again thanks for for taking the time here uh, yeah sure you know i mentioned you were the the air force um can you just share with our audience a little bit about you know your service uh your your time in and um when you know how long you serve for?
1: Yeah, so- I served for 12 years in the Air Force. Uh, I was medically retired in 2017. Uh, I was in medical logistics. Um, For those who don't know, it's basically medical supply. Um, I did a lot of special duties. I did a couple of joint assignments um, down in San Antonio. So got some joint experience. really liked working with the Army. Um, I kind of found a second home with them and felt very welcome with them. So joint assignments were really cool. Um, like I said, I did 12 years. I was medically retired cause my back broke my back, messed it up, you know, pushing around cargo lifting. Uh, and then I messed up my shoulder. So it just, with those things combined, it was just hard to kind of bounce back from. So, um, they ended up medically retiring me. And then when I medically retired, you know, um, I took about eight months off and then I went back and I worked for the government again, um, in a different capacity, but still on a support role supporting a mission. So yeah, 12 years, air force, Loved every minute of it. I wish I could have stayed longer, but, you know, just wasn't uh, in the cards.
0: So, uh, you know, 12 years, I mean, it seemed like, obviously, you were trying to make it a career where I, I, until you got medically re- retired. Um, what was, was kind of like – how was the transition from you from, you know, leaving the military and then going back into the civilian
1: sector? So – Mine was maybe a little different than uh, other people. Um, I did not choose to leave. You know, I didn't choose to transition out. And uh, since they, it kind of forced my hand, you know, they did a medical board on me. Um, like a lot of other people have been through. And, you know, I was forced with, or I was facing, you know, a medical separation or a medical retirement. But, you know, I really had to, uh, in the Air Force, they get a, give you an opportunity to get a lawyer. You can get a military lawyer. You can hire one from downtown. And I got a military lawyer and I went, went to go meet with him. And he was like, man, we got this in the bag. <laughs> they, haven't looked at, we, they haven't looked at several things that they're basically trying to boot you for. And, you know, I think we have a really strong case. He's like, you know, so we went over things and he kind of got me prepared to what, you know, because you actually go to court. I mean, you go to a military court and stand there and, you know, just like you see on TV and all that. And, yeah, uh, we were ready to go, man. And I went home showed up the next day 30 minutes early like he told me to and I walked into his office and he's like cool man I'm glad you're here let's sign some papers and I'll get you out of here and I was like what he said yeah man uh I took this in front of the judge man he'd look, he looked at it for one second and said nah I'm not wasting my time on this there's all kinds of stuff this guy's busted up for that they haven't even tried to look at so he just he signed retirement papers and said yeah let this guy go <laughs> so yeah mine was a little different than maybe some other people, but probably still similar to others. But um, yeah, I didn't have, I didn't have that option. I was kind of faced with it. So, like that last year and a half I was in was very stressful because, you know, if if any of you listening have been through a med board, you know, but for those of you who haven't, it's very stressful. They have a lot of demands of you and you do a lot of paperwork and there's a lot of what ifs and there's no timetable. It just kind of happens when it happens, you know, and, and then when you finally get to, resolution you know they only give you like 45 days to get out i mean it's like hey okay now you got your orders get out so for me the transition was quick i kind of saw it coming because i kind of knew from the injuries but um when it really happened you know my i was already back in my hometown i got orders here and we were already living um i had a living situation figured out so i didn't have to move or pick up my house or anything like that i just came right back home and um i went to work for a local company um selling beer and uh just kind of paying the bills while i was waiting on the right government job to open up on the base to get back into so i did that for like five months of the out of the eight that i was out of uniform and You know, that's kind of what I went back and did. The transition for me really didn't happen until a couple of years later. That's when it really happened to me, when I was used to being a civilian and I was being around the military and that that all that camaraderie and things like that. You're seeing it firsthand, but you're not getting to be a part of it. You know, kind of that's when the transition really hit me.
0: So were you at, um, you know, knowing you were going to court and kind of like it was going to go either – one way or the other right were you kind of you know maybe preparing yourself like hey you know once this does happen like this is what I'm gonna did you have any plans laid out or anything like that or or is it like what you said like a couple years later where you're kind of fully transitioned
1: so I knew like you know you're going to court for at least a month or two. And my date kept getting pushed back. They kept pushing back my case. Once it was at that level, it's out of, you know, local hands. Nobody locally can really help you. They're just kind of like, Hey, we're just waiting on them to take your case. Um, And so it just kept getting pushed back. So in a kind of a blessing in disguise, it kept getting pushed back and more and more people found out that I was going to have to leave. And more and more people were reaching out to me like, hey, hit me up when you leave. You know, oh, there might be some government jobs opening up that we'll consider you for. We want you to apply. So that kind of bought me some time. And next thing I knew, you know, when it did actually happen, there were several jobs that were open that I applied for. But they had that. uh, Well, right when I got out, um, Trump got elected and then he did that uh, government hiring freeze. So I was kind of in limbo with a certain job, you know, after I had sold beer for a couple of months and waiting for the job to open up. Um, he did the hiring freeze after he got elected. And then I kind of got hung up in that a little bit for like three or four weeks. So that delayed my, my start date, but I eventually got in there. And yeah, like I said, it wasn't until a couple of years later when I really started, um, Interacting with more veterans and finding out what the transition was really like for other people that it really kind of hit me, and I was like, "Man, I was blessed. I was really, really blessed because mine could have been a whole lot more difficult, um, transition-wise, and, and it wasn't. So, like I said, I was I was really blessed that it was easier than it could have been." Yeah, because you always
0: hear about yeah, you, know, you know, like the the stories of you know the difficulties you know transitioning military members have you know, yeah. when when they're retiring or separating from, from the military. Um, did you have any, you know, some sort of, like, bad experience? Did you ex- um, go through any of that? Or, like, what were some of the mo- worst moments you had, you know, knowing that you are being basically medically retired and, you know, this was what you wanted to do, but
1: you were told no? You know, like, what was those moments like? So, really, it was, um, it was really a couple of years later when I realized um, how much I missed it. And then that's when those things started kicking in. So I immediately went back to a work and I went to a job and, you know, I was around the military. So I never really like mentally transitioned away from the military because I wasn't really away from it very long. So it was kind of a process of, okay, I'm a civilian. I'm treated a little differently. Um, it's not the same. Anymore, and it took a little while to get used to that. But again, I was around it, so it wasn't um, it wasn't as bad. What really hit me was when my body kind of started catching up to myself, and I realized, oh, you know, that high of kind of coming off of the transition and getting you know used to a new life and all that. When I came off of that high a couple years later, that's when it really hit me because. I was like, "Oh. Now, now my body's telling me I can't do things that I used to be able to do." And mm-hmm. that was a game changer. And that's when the physical and the mental started kind of coming and crashing down, and that's I had to go get help because I just that's what I wasn't ready for.
0: So, so now, you know, kind of just fast forward, you mentioned you were when you first got out, you were working for uh, a beer company and then now you, you got a job as, uh, you know, basically back with the government, right? Yep. Um, so how did you, were you, is that, was that something you were always looking for or like, how did you, um, come across that?
1: Well, honestly, I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I was getting out. Um, I knew that I wanted to support my wife going to school, so I really didn't care what I did. Um, I was just concerned with that next phase and it it was really important to me that she went to school, but um, I, I, on my way out the door, there were jobs opening up that people were showing interest in me and in the government and in the civilian sector. Um, The timing didn't hit quite right that summer when I got out and I was eligible and I had my 214 in my hand and all that. So um, I kind of missed the boat on a few opportunities and I had to wait, but when the, uh, the local beer salesman, you know, the brand representative job came open, that's when I was like, Oh, you know, let me, let me do this and let me be local for a little while. And, and let me pay some bills and, and, and wait for that right opportunity to open up. Cause I really wanted to go back to work for the government, for the benefits and for the stability and. And it's one of the bigger employers here in my hometown. So um, I kind of waited and had the patience. And I really relied on a lot of my friends who were already working for the government. And they were telling me tips and tricks and resume, you know, examples and all that. And I really leaned on a lot of my, uh, you know, brothers and sisters in arms and veterans because they're the ones who helped me get a job. So I kind of knew some opportunities were coming up. I just kind of kept my eyes open and I was just I was patient.
0: So, you know, um, so you got this, this, this job as, you know, as a government employee um, and now you've, you know, several years later, you have, you have a podcast, like Courses of Action Podcasts. Mm-hmm. You have a book that just came out. Uh, um, how did you go about, you know, creating basically the podcast and then, and then the, what made you write the, the book that's, that's currently out now?
1: So um I wrote the book. Um I would I had it written when I was on active duty. I had kind of a shell of an idea. And I said, you know, one day I want to do this. Um and even if it was just something that I wrote and my kids eventually saw and you know they were just kind of, oh my god, my dad wrote a book. Like it was something that it was for them mainly. Um, but when I became a government civilian, I was in a I got promoted into a um, a government civilian leadership position. I was making decisions over both civilian and military operations. And I did a lot of great work, but I did a lot of great work because there was a lot of great folks that worked under me that did awesome work and make me look good. So, you know, the kudos are to them, but I was recognized as the 2019 air force civilian supervisor of the year, really, really big award, big deal. And um, it really humbled me and made me go, okay, you know, a lot of people did a lot of really good work and I took, I got to take a lot of credit of it because of my position and I got that recognition, but they really deserved, you know, probably 75 to 90% of it because of, you know, if they didn't do what they did, I would have been fired. You know, that's just the bottom line. And um, so I really took that as a sign of I could do more. So I needed to dedicate myself to finishing that book and to kind of putting my leadership, you know, ideas and concepts and, and theories and, and tips and tricks and, and on paper. So I went back to the book and I said, I'm going to do it now. I really am. And I, I, I sat down and I just kind of started hammering it out. And I had like 55,000 words written, I think. Um, and I just, I canned like 30,000 words of it. I just said, ah, it's not the route I was wanting to go. It kind of felt forced and um, I just kind of sat there and and tried to develop a little bit more and I took a break and I went back to it a bunch of times and it wasn't until Tactical 16 came along and Chris Schaefer is the CEO. He's a former Green Beret and um, he came to me and said, man, I heard about your book. Let's go have a beer. And I was in Colorado at the time. We went and had a beer and I told him about it and he loved the idea and told me to you know, send it to him whenever whenever I got it in a position that I was ready to, you know, send it out to a publisher and he wanted to review it and sent them the first couple of chapters, I think, um, that Christmas. And he replied back with a contract and said, I love it. Finish it and let's go. So um, I did the podcast to answer the second part of your question. I did the podcast because I really felt like during COVID, it's probably a cliche answer, but during COVID, I felt like it was really hard to meet people because we were locked down. So I did I did the podcast as another way to have intimate discussions with people and to really learn about other people and, and make relationships. Cause I saw a lot of people on LinkedIn and social media that were, they were reaching out and making relationships, but they were just doing it on you know message threads and, and posts and all that. And I said, I really want something where I can look at people in the eyes and talk to them face to face, like kind of like what we're doing now and uh, make those relationships. And I said, so I really want to learn about people and that's why I just, I finally one day woke up and said, I'm doing it today. I'm starting a podcast. And then I did it.
0: Yeah. So, And, and again, for the audience, um, those listening in, the book is here. Are these truths: uh, the ultimate guide to building your leadership algorithm. Uh, Jeff, you said you, you wrote this while you were still in active duty. It, was this something that you kind of just like over time, you know, you were just writing uh, portions of it and, um, knowing that it was going to be a book or it was just something from the experience you you gained and you just wanted to write things down.
1: Um, Yeah. It really kind of started off as like a more organized and professional, like journal of my thoughts. um, So that one day I could write a book on it, or I at least have things and I wouldn't have to try to remember everything. And um, it kind of started off as that. And then, like I said, once I, kind of in a position where i had a lot of influence and a lot of decision making and i kind of realized how important really good leadership really was because i saw some bad leadership and i saw some really good leadership and it really just motivated me and that's when i just said you know what i'm gonna go i'm gonna go all in on this i'm gonna really try to do a product that i'm proud of now is anybody gonna buy it i have no idea but you know um my point was to do something that I could share with people and that they could learn from. And that's really, was kind of the point of it.
0: Jeff, what would you say has been kind of like the most rewarding moment you've had or experienced since you've, you know, you started your own podcast courses of action and since you wrote the book here, these truth.
1: Mm, I think for the book, it was when people have emailed me or reached out to me and quoted Something that I said in there, Um, it's awesome, but it's also humbling at the same time because you know the point I, I I started out to do is to give something that people would would enjoy and it would influence their lives. It would it would make them better. They would learn something from it, and in turn, I can learn something from them. But when they reach out to me and they quote something, I'm like, dude, that hit me so hard. Like that's such an awesome quote you know, you don't remember it's 65,000 words. You know, I don't remember everything I wrote in there. Right. right. I mean, so when somebody says something, I'm like, well, what page was that on, <laughs> you know, I go back and reference it and just, man, I'm glad you liked that, man. Cause that's a, uh, that's why I did it. So why I did it was to, to help people out and to share my thoughts and see where people could go. And that's the best part about you know, writing the book is just, you know, knowing that people, it resonates with people. That's, probably the best i'm not looking for tv interviews or to get rich it's just knowing that i had a further impact on other people's lives and um kind of the same thing with the the podcast i think the biggest most rewarding thing on that is just meeting new people and and getting the support of people that kind of unconditional support like yeah man i love it keep doing it you know um, and then you get to reciprocate that with other people. You know, a lot of my guests have written books. I've written, I've, I've bought those books. Um, I've shared them with other people. So it's just, you're building that community and that network of people. So you can sit there and say, Hey man, have you heard about this? You know, like you really need to check out the, you know, Fortis, it, Fidelis, you know, the, the brave and the faithful podcast, man, cause those guys rock and, you know, and then, you know, you're going to do the same for me and for other people. And it's just kind of an a, a unconditional way of supporting each other. And I think that's maybe the best part about it is, um, is knowing that you're part of that community and that you're, you're, you're growing together with people.
0: Yeah. And a, speaking of uh, supporting one another, uh, you know, Just for our audience out there, Jeff and I, our podcasts are nominated at the, uh, second annual veteran podcast awards. Yep. Uh, make sure you guys go to, to the website. Um, we'll we'll share the link, um, on the show notes here but make sure you guys vote for uh jeff for the best air force hosted podcast and myself as the best navy hosted podcast
1: thank you man i vote every day i've been voting for you and me (laughs) every day
0: yeah yeah my family
1: doing it i'm telling everybody um go vote for this podcast this podcast and this podcast make sure you do it every single day awesome i appreciate that brother
0: Want to support an active duty owned brand, head over to Fortis-Fidelis.com. Again, that's Fortis-Fidelis.com. And help us in honoring the brave and faithful service of our nation's defenders. All proceeds will help us create and provide memorial coins to the families of our fallen service members. Again, that's Fortis-Fidelis.com. And help Fortis-Fidelis and honoring the brave and faithful. What's going on, everyone? Raiden here. And we just want to let you all know that for the second year in a row, the Brave and Faithful podcast has been nominated by the Veteran Podcast Awards as one of the top best overall podcasts the Best Navy hosted podcasts. Make sure you all go to slash vote and vote for our podcast for the best overall and the best Navy hosted podcast. Voting begins August 8th and ends September 18th. So again, head over to veteranpodcastawards.comslash vote and vote for the brave and faithful podcast. The best overall and the best Navy-hosted podcast. Thank you all for your support. Um. So, Jeff, you know, you've you've you know you've you've done the podcasts. You've written your own book. Um, what advice would you give to our audience that are listening in? You know, that maybe one day want to start their own podcast or maybe want to you know, write their own book? What, is, what are some actionable steps that you can kind of give to, to those people right now?
1: Well, for a podcast, I would say um, the biggest thing I learned was to really do some research on what other people have done and go listen to some similar podcasts of what maybe you're wanting to do. And take a look at their branding, take a look at their message, and take a look at their like their format, their length, their um, their frequency, and all that stuff. And then come up with an idea for yourself because podcasts tend to be pretty specific. Um, you know, they have kind of a targeted audience, and um, the last thing you want to do is to try to cast this wide net and try to get every person in the world to listen to your podcast because you're going to be yeah. so general. It's so broad that you're going to have a hard time capturing an audience. The second thing I would say is be okay with having slow results because you want to build into something big. You don't want to try to come out big out the gate necessarily. Um, You might struggle with that. And that will lead to disappointing results. And disappointing results oftentimes is what kills momentum and it kills people doing things, you know. Um, if I were to have quit after my first five episodes, um, because of the viewership that I got immediately after that, I would have, you know, it would have been an easy loss because I would have just given up, but instead, you know, I kept saying, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to improve this. I'm going to improve that. Here's what I want to do in the next six months and the next two years. Here's some guests I want to invite. I want to kind of kick it up a notch. And, um, it's kind of pressing forward and just staying the course. Don't uh, do your research, but don't get intimidated and don't get disappointed by where you're at. Cause well, now one of my first five, five episodes, six episodes, one of those is like one of my best episodes ever. So
0: oh, well. yeah, like listening back to it.
1: Exactly. So it wasn't, um, it wasn't about that in a moment. I mean, it didn't do very good for like six months. And then as I published more episodes and I did some cross promoting and, um, I did a little bit more pushing it out there and then people caught on and then people start going back and looking at, you know, back episodes. That's when things kind of started catching on. And that's really what you have to do is you have to just kind of wait and stay the course and just keep being persistent. And, um, you know, like they say, you need just keep showing up and, uh, it, it'll come. The results will come if you're doing it right and you're putting effort into it and you're putting passion into it, the results will come. And, uh, it's not quite the same as writing a book. Um, writing a book's a little different, man. Like I think you really have to sit down and be dedicated to writing because, you know, if you look at how much, you know, like a regular paper in school might be two or 3000 words and that's like 10, 15 pages long. I like, man, that's a long paper. Well, think about how much, a, I mean a 200 page book, how many words is that? We're, we're in the sixties yeah. and 70 thousands, you know, so you've really got to put some effort into it because, And they say the first 50 pages are the most important because if you, if somebody can read after the first 50 pages, you've captured them. So on the same token as a podcast, if you're going to write a book, do your research, you know, read some books that are in your genre that you're targeting, you know, talk to other people, reach out to guys like me who have already wrote a book and say, Hey, you know, can I bend your ear for half an hour? You know, and uh, I've done it to several veterans, you know, since I've published, I've I've sat down with them like this on Zoom or whatever and said, man, what do you need to know? What can I help you with? What can yeah. I tell you? You know, and 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 go from there because it's a daunting process, but it doesn't have to be, you know, a solo daunting process. There's plenty of people out there to help you.
0: What are some things that you've taken away from the service that's kind of helped you with, you know, starting your own podcast and, and being an author, publishing your own book?
1: Ooh, man, that's a good question. Um, I would say patience. That's really it's really taught me patience. It's really taught me um, expectation management, which was something that mm, that's good um, in the military. You know, expectation management was a big thing. Right. Um, attention to detail. You know, of course, we know that in the military, attention to detail is a huge thing. But um, you know, showing up it's probably, probably maybe the biggest thing. Um, I mentioned it a little bit ago, you know, showing up every day, showing up a you know, crisp uniform, looking good boots polished, you know, they don't polish their boots anymore, but, um, you know, being presentable and saying I'm here to work. And I think that was, that's what got me through the book. That's what really got me through it because I kept, I kept throwing things out and saying it wasn't good enough. And, um, I kept going back to it, but I kept going back, and that was the thing. I kept showing up. I kept working, and that work ethic was really kind of what got me through. And it's, it's what's it's what gets me through the podcast now because there's just days, as I'm sure you know, there's just days you just I don't want to record. I don't want to edit. I don't want to. I don't want to advertise. It's just yeah. It's a it's work, man. And when you work all day and then you come home and you got to do it again, you know, um, but you can't. That can't shine through in the microphone you know, or on video, you know, you really got to show up and be pumped up and be ready to go. Cause that's what people are tuning in to listen to you when you give them a good product. So you got to show up.
0: Definitely. Definitely. I think that's the most important thing, right? It's just obviously um, doing, doing the work, but doing the work consistently is, uh, is what matters.
1: Yeah. Consistent, res- consistent work will equal consistent results.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Um, so Jeff, so, you know, before we go to the second segment of our podcast here, um, if there's one thing or maybe a couple of things you want our our listeners to take away from this episode, um, what would those, what
1: would those be? Oh man. Um, I think the biggest thing, and this is maybe the biggest thing that's been for me is um, don't ever be afraid to reach out to a fellow veteran um, and ask them for help. Because of what I found, and I found this um, the hard way, was that people are more willing to help than you would believe they would be. You would think that in a a very crowded and kind of saturated podcast market, especially with veterans, um, that people would be kind of competing and fighting for you know views and listens. And I've found. This is me personally. I found that to be the exact opposite. I've witnessed way more people willing to help than I have people who kind of gave me the cold shoulder. Um, I have had people that have given me the cold shoulder, but for the most part, a lot of people are like, yeah, man, this is what I use and this is what I have. And I just went to lunch actually the other day with uh, Dustin Kelly from the DTD. Uh, podcast and me and him had a beer and he was telling me man I use this and I use this and this is what I do for this and all that and, and he's just he had I mean no reason to do that other than he was just being helpful right. and um, I think that's maybe the biggest thing that I would say and whether that's whether you're doing a podcast or a book or you're writing your resume or you're looking for help um, in the job market like don't be afraid to reach out to another veteran and be like hey man I'd really like to come work for your company or a similar company. Like, what can you tell me, you know? I'm not looking for a job or a handout, but what can you tell me about doing my resume or would you mind doing some interview tips with me or whatever? Just don't be afraid to reach out for help because there's a lot of people out there willing to help and you'd be surprised how big that amount really is.
0: Yeah, I think that's kind of like, uh, I think that's, I mean, obviously that's the most important thing, right? It's just asking, asking for, for help. Um, uh, mm-hmm. I think sometimes, um, I, I mentioned this in another episode before, sometimes our pride, um, sometimes gets, gets in the way of, of us not doing that.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mine, I know mine did mine absolutely yeah. got in the way because I thought I was competing against everybody else for a job, for a podcast, for a book you know, all that. And I was wrong. Yeah. You're competing technically, but you know. You're only competing against yourself at that point in time. There's way more people out there that are like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm down to help. What do you need me to do? Definitely, definitely.
0: So, Jeff, uh, going into the second segment of our podcast here. So this is what I call the fast five. These are the same five questions asked on my guests. Mm. Are you ready? Yep, let's do it. All right, so first question here. What's one hobby you enjoy?
1: What's one hobby I enjoy? Um, I really enjoy archery. I have not done it as much. Um, I had surgery on my shoulder back in 2018. And for like the first year and a half after that, I really couldn't lift a whole lot with my arm. I wasn't doing a lot of rehabilitation and kind of learning how to reuse that, uh, arm and that hand again. But, um, I used it as kind of a crutch afterward, and I was kind of scared. because I, I was really worried I was going to damage it again, and I didn't want to go through another surgery and all that rehab and physical therapy. Um, but recently I've started picking it up, and I'm going to do the Total Archery Challenge next year, and I'm really getting back into it. So that's, uh, that's the one hobby that I, I miss and that I'm, I'm looking forward to doing a lot more of. What, what is the, uh, that challenge you mentioned, Total Archery? So the total archery challenge is basically, um, this organization, I think black rifle coffee actually, um, um, funds and supports it now. Um, they didn't used to, but they do now and, uh, they go out and, uh, they pick different locations, um, in the mountains. Basically most of them are old ski resorts, um, during the off season when there's no snow and they put out targets in different parts of the ski resort. And you basically walk it like you do a golf course. And um, it's just something, it's a different dynamic to shooting in your backyard. Like I shoot my bow in my backyard here at 20 yards. I got a little square target that sits on the ground. It's pretty vanilla. But when you go to this, you might be standing on the edge of a peak with a 50-yard shot, you know, 25 yards downhill. You know what I mean? Um, Or you might be shooting uphill, or you might have to shoot in in between some trees. And it's just, it's really turned into a big event where especially a lot of veterans come out Um, And vendors come out, you go to this, you know, total archery challenge for, and you basically play, you know, three days of golf, but you know, with your bow and arrow, shooting at targets and it's just kind of a fun, uh, fun event. I mean, you can keep score, but the point of it is not to win. They don't necessarily award a winner. I don't think. And it's just kind of a good time. Sounds interesting, man. Sounds awesome.
0: I've never tried archery before, but. uh, Oh, you should. uh, You should.
1: It's uh, (laughs) a, it's good. It's good therapy. Kind of tre- teaches you uh, patience and consistency, and because you're not going to master it immediately, there's a lot of things you got to work on. For you got to build up your strength, and um, you know, it's to me, it's it's a lot like you know shooting a rifle. You know, you got to work at it and get better at it. And, uh, yes. You don't become a marksman overnight. Definitely.
0: So, uh, Jeff, second question here: If you had to choose one person to hang out with for one day, who would it be, why?
1: Oh man. One person. It can be in any genre, Uh, any, anybody uh, dead or living. Um, you know, I would probably pick, um, my grandpa and I would pick, uh, it'd be tough to choose. Honestly, I'm going to say both my grandparents, my, my, or my grandfather's, um, one of them I never met. He was in World War II, and he died before I was even born. Um, I'd love to sit down with him for a day and just talk war stories, and just be able to see what his experience was versus what mine was, and how the military has changed. He was in the Army Air Corps, and now that I'm in the Air Force, you know, I traced his lineage through his Air Force through his career all the way back to basically where his squadron started and what it's become today. And, um, I think it'd be really cool to sit down and talk to him. My grandpa, my dad's side though, I'd really like to sit down with because, um, you know, I think I'm a lot like him. He died when I was only, I think 11. So it'd be cool to sit down with him today and just, um, kind of get to see who he is and who I am compared to what, well, you know, what we knew. He knew me when I was 11, you know, I think yeah. I knew him when he was 70, so, it'd be cool to chat it up now and just kind of get those life stories and experience and be able to talk to him like a man. So your
0: grandfather and your, your mom's side uh, served in world war two in army air Corps and then your grandfather and dad's yeah. side.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Uh, okay.
0: Um, Next question, uh, Jeff, recommend a book for our audience to read.
1: Ooh, um Dang. Um I'll do this. I'll do a fiction and a nonfiction. Um, for fiction, I would say, uh, if you like, kind of spy political thrillers. Um, the Body Man by Eric Bishop. Shout out to Eric Bishop.
0: Um, I just had him, I had him as a guest. Shout oh, man.
1: <laughs> I love Eric. Man, me and him are going to BoucherCon here in a couple weeks up in Minnesota. We're going to be talking thriller books. Um, spy books and all that stuff so I'm really looking forward to that but he's got a great The Body Man's a great book if you haven't read it yet and you really like military thrillers and spy thrillers and you know political thrillers and all that The Body Man's a good one and then of course he has his next one coming up uh, it won't release until next year but he let me read it um, early review and it's it's excellent it's this excellent follow-up um, might be even better than The Body Man in my opinion but um, yeah and then for nonfiction man um i think a really cool book that i like in nonfiction was by chris strom he's a uh former marine and new york police department intelligence officer and it's called brooklyn to baghdad and uh if you haven't had chris on your podcast as a guest you need to man um he's an awesome guy um did 30 or 40 years or something like that in the new york police department in intelligence he was there driving down the street on 9 11 um he eventually deployed with a special group that the u.s you know uh, built of former special operators and intelligence guys over to iraq and uh, iraq i think and um He did a lot of really cool stuff trying to find IEDs and interrogating terrorists and all that. So his book is really awesome. It's called Brooklyn to Baghdad by Chris Strom. Chris Strom, Brooklyn to Baghdad. Check it out. Yeah, absolutely. And you got to have him on. Reach out to him. Tell him I sent you uh, to come link up with him because he's a cool dude. All
0: right. All right. We'll do. We'll do. Um, Jeff, next question. What's your favorite quote
1: and why? Oh, um, I mean, I got a lot of favorite quotes, but I think one, um, I think the one that uh, hit me the hardest was one that I actually said, and I said it to someone and I didn't, I didn't know what I was saying at the time and they kind of, it kind of stopped them. I was on a podcast kind of like this, but I was with three other ladies and they were kind of doing like a, like a random, like firing round and they were all just firing questions at me. And, um, I was just answering and I said this off the cuff and I, I didn't realize at the time how heavy it was, but they all kind of fell silent when I said it. And I said, as a leader, you should never let we be a hollow word. And they just kind of stopped and were like, wow, that's huge. And I was like, w- what was it? What did I say again? And they're like, don't <laughs> let, don't let we be a hollow word. And I was like, yeah, like, When you're a leader and you say we, but you really don't mean we and the people that are following you know that we really means you or us doesn't mean we. It's a hollow word. It has no meaning at that point in time. So you throw it around and it means absolutely nothing. So as a leader, your words mean everything. So when you say we, it no joke has to mean we. So I said, don't let we be a hollow word. And um I, it's my favorite. I'd say it's my favorite quote simply because of what it did when I said it for other people and how it kind of hit them hard. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, because I mean, you know, you you hear that, you know, like throughout your time, like maybe you're not even in the military as well too. Like you know, everybody just leaders just say we.
1: Oh yeah, we got to do know? this. We got to do that. Yeah. We're gonna go do this together and. You know, Certain people don't show up or they didn't really mean we. They just said it in the context of we, right. and uh, it, it meant nothing. It was a hollow word. So when you, when you say we, no joke has to mean we. Don't, do, don't ask people to do something that you're not willing to do yourself because um, yeah. your credibility will get thrown out the door. That's a great point. Great point.
0: All right, Jess, so final question here. What do you see yourself in five years or even 10 years from now?
1: Oh, um, five years from now, I would really like to have another book under my belt. Um, I really want to get into the fiction genre and write some military and and kind of spy thrillers. Um, That's kind of a um, dream of mine I've had for a long time, ever since I was a kid and kind of I wrote my own comics and kind of had my own imagination. Um, We didn't have a lot of money when I was younger. So I didn't have like a lot of toys. I had to use my imagination. So um, I built stuff out of cardboard. I played outside a lot and I just had a really big imagination. And that's something I really want to get back to um, as an adult, kind of doing some of those things. So I really want to have another book under my belt, uh, preferably some kind of military or spy thriller in five years and 10 years, man, I'd like to be retired sitting on the beach, drinking a margarita or something, but um, I don't know. 10 years from now probably be, well, I'll be almost 50. Um, My kids will be grown and gone. So I think 10 years from now, I'd like to be at a point where, you know, I'm taking some vacations, I'm relaxing and I'm really enjoying the labors of life. Enjoy, enjoying, uh,
0: enjoying the, uh, the fruits of your labor.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that would be, that would be ideal.
0: (laughs) All right. So, um, Jeff, again, I appreciate you uh, for for your time and sharing your story. And again, for our audience out there, make sure you guys go check out the uh, the podcast "Courses of Action." Uh, make sure you guys go grab a copy of Jeff Clark's book, "Hear These Truths," on Amazon, Barnes Noble's, um, you know, anywhere you can find books. So just yeah, go you to your
1: go to your local books you know bookstore and tell them to order it for you too, and support local.
0: Awesome, man, and uh. One final thing, Jeff, before we go, where can our audience follow you? Where can they support you?
1: So you can go to the website, jeffclarkofficial.com. Um, you can see all my information there. You, know, you can you know, go to the store and get an autographed copy of the book. You can pick up a t-shirt, a coffee mug. Um, you can check out the podcast from there. Um, you can follow me on social media. Um, all my handles are um, at official J. S. clark. So, um, you can get those from the website as well, but yeah, jeffclarkofficial.com, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, of course I'm on YouTube as well. Uh, you can check out all the episodes on YouTube and, and some of the stuff I've been up to. Awesome, Jeff. And again,
0: appreciate it for your time. Um, well, I appreciate you, man. Make sure you guys grab the book, go check out the podcast and, uh, Jeff, I'll talk to you soon, brother.
1: Take care. Thank yep. Thanks, man.
0: Hey everyone, Raiden here. I just want to thank you for listening to our podcast. And make sure you guys go check out our website, fortis-fidelis.com. Again, that's fortis-fidelis.com. And learn how you can help us support in providing these memorial coins to the families of the fallen. And make sure you guys go follow our social media. On Facebook, F-R-T-S, F-D-L-S. Again, that's F-R-T-S, F-D-L-S. And on Instagram and Twitter, at F-R-T-S, underscore F-D-L-S. Again, that's FRTS_FDLS. underscore F-D-L-S. And make sure you guys go subscribe, review, and leave a comment on our podcast, on all the podcast platforms. Till then, take care.